this book is all stories. We can look for principles for life. We can look for doctrines and teachings. But at the heart of it is the story of God's love and forgiveness of us. And that from the very beginning, even from the very beginning of the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't just scrape them off the map and start all over again. He moved towards forgiveness. I'm committed to this relationship. And in order for us to have this relationship, I'm going to have to forgive you for what you've done. Did God deserve their choice? Did God deserve their activity and their actions towards Him? Absolutely not. A perfect God, full of love and grace and compassion, and all the good stuff of life. And yet, Adam and Eve chose to hurt God in that way. Chose not to trust Him in the sin, but God did not go away from them. He moved towards them. In order to do that, He had to forgive. And the story goes on with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. And the stories that we heard today of forgiveness. And God continued to want to be with his people, but in order to do that, he had to forgive them. And so, as we move along, and you have the people of Israel, and they're there in the wilderness. God says, I want to be with you. I want the tabernacle among you. And so, he gives Moses all the plans for the sanctuary and for tabernacle for him to be there. You have the holy place and the most holy place. And in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was what? Truth question. Mercy seat. A reminder that God was with his people and in order for him to be with his people he was a God of mercy and forgiveness. And every year the high priest would go with the blood of the Lamb and sprinkle the mercy seat with the blood. And sometimes we look at that and we say, man, why did God have all those rules and all that ritualism and all that type of stuff? One of the things we need to remember is that during those times when people worshipped all these gods, and they had many gods, they didn't know how to please the gods, and they were trying everything they could to please the gods and get the gods to like them, God was making it very clear, I want a relationship with you, and here's how we do it. You don't have to guess. I want to love you. I want you to know that I love you. I want to forgive you. And this is how we're going to do this. The people of Israel didn't have to wonder and try all kinds of things to try to get the God to have favor on them and have mercy on them to forgive. God says, I want to forgive you. And this is how we move forward in relationship. And so God tabernacled among them and made it clear how they could receive forgiveness and could be in relationship together. And as time goes on, you have the monarch, you have, you have three incredibly godly men. King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. Now I say that with tongue in cheek, right? Some of you are laughing with me. And I always, I always take for you, you look at David, you think, oh, David, a man after God's own heart. And I always like to remind people that, you know, David was a murderer, he was an adulterer, and he was a drug pusher. He got people drunk in order to control the situation. And yet God forgave him. You go on into the time of the prophets and the exiles. And why did God send his prophets? To tell the people, repent, I forgive you, and I want to be with you. Come back, I forgive you. And ultimately pointing to the Messiah. The one who would show us exactly how much God loves us and how much God forgives us by taking the cross. In order for God to have a relationship with us, he had to forgive us. Resurrection, all says, I forgive you. 
wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm just going to have to some of us they don't, don't bother raising your hands. Today, I think it's a good question to this spiritual exercise. Okay. We have any sinners in the church that just raise your hand. Okay, good. Those of you who are not raising your hands, we have a group that will help you with your denominator. Okay? And uh, if you're visiting with us today, you are in a church of sinners. But a church of sinners that is not, that where Jesus is not leaving us where he found us. He's healing us. He's forgiving us. So we don't believe in cheap grace here. Well, I'm forgiven, so I just keep on doing what I'm doing. We believe the good news of being forgiven also means I can be made new. And I'm stuck in my sins. I'm hurting others and myself for the rest of this life. And so we are here as sinners who are forgiven. Because as sinners, we all deserve death, it says. The wages, we earned it. We earned every bit of death. Because of our sins. But my favorite theological word in the Bible, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The scriptures go on in Ephesians, we spent some time in there recently. It says, In him, Ephesians 1 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It doesn't say according to how well we behaved and performed since we accepted Jesus or even before that. But our forgiveness is solely based on the riches of His grace. There isn't anyone here this morning or anybody who's ever walked the face of this earth that can say, I did something that caused God to forgive me. Forgiveness is never given to anyone who deserves it. Just think about it. Forgiveness is given as a gift. Unmerited faith. Colossians 1 reminds us, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All He's doing one of my favorites since childhood, First John 1, 9. If we confess our what? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that good news, church? If we confess it, He's waiting and wanting us. He wants to forgive. He chooses to forgive. Jesus, when he talked about the Lord's Supper, that he was taking from the Passover now to be the Lord's Supper, he said these words in Matthew 26, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for what? The forgiveness of sins. He shed his blood that we might be forgiven. One more passage that I like that we prayed this morning. Thank you, Terry. Gives of us to pray together as our Lord taught us, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he knew that this was a process that was vital to his disciples. That we would live in the process of forgiveness. That not that we would be forgiven because we have 
forgiven others, but because we are experiencing forgiveness from the Father, we are living under the reign of forgiveness and extending forgiveness in our relationships. It's a natural result of experiencing the forgiveness of God. I like what one theologian said, Michael Horton. He said, the gospel is not good instructions, not a good idea, not good advice. The gospel is an announcement of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In a sense, we could say that, apart from the grace of God, we are all unforgivable. God has forgiven and That's good news, church. We don't deserve to be forgiven. The Bible says our wages is death. We all know what we deserve.
gets touched every single time, it brings great pain. But there can still be forgiveness. Forgiveness. Peter is one of our favorite Bible characters because we all relate to him so much. Peter, so you remember, came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often do I need to forgive someone? Don't you love that approach? We, we do that a lot, right? What's the minimum? <laughs> what's, the, what's the least amount of requirement that I get to go past? But Peter was being a distinguished came He said to him in Matthew, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he says, as many as seven times that I was alive. In Peter's time, three times, the Jews and the rabbis said three times, then they knew about the three strikes and you're out of law way back then. Three times. That's a lot. I mean, more than once. I mean, three times. So Peter doubled it. That basically took the number of perfection and said, this is the perfect answer. Seven times, Jesus, is that how long? And I wish, don't you just wish you could have been a fly on the wall in a sense? Just that onlooker standing there as Jesus and Peter are talking when Jesus said these words, verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven or seventy-seven times. Can you imagine Peter going, that's impossible. That is impossible. Seventy-seven times, if someone does something to me and I have to forgive them, seventy-seven, and you know he's still thinking, how do I get to seventy-seven? When Jesus is saying, there's no limit. There's no limit. In church, it's impossible for us to forgive someone that many times. But with God, all things are possible. It is not human to forgive. It's God that can forgive. It's only through the Spirit of Christ in us that it can happen. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, Freely you have received, freely what? Give. That's easier said than done. It's easy to believe it. It's easy to know that. But it's hard to do it. Ephesians 4, we were in not too long ago. Paul said these words, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as God in Christ forgave you, forgive one another. That means no one earns your forgiveness. It means you simply give it away. Just as God in Christ forgave you, forgive one another. As I was thinking about this sermon, I thought about a story, a true story that was, uh, a movie was made about this story now, probably close to 20 years ago. I mentioned this movie to someone this week, and said, oh yeah, that, that old movie. Some of you may remember the story. It was a movie called Dead Man Walking. A horrible story, but yet a beautiful story at the same time about a young girl that's 16 years of age and her boyfriend is 18 years old who were out on a date together. And uh, two men came to kidnap them, tortured them, did horrible things to both of them. Obviously, this morning, but they tortured him so bad in so many horrible ways and left him, left him for dead. And then they brutally tortured her and wrote a 
took the car and drove here and did this and did that. But at some point, they, they let her go. And this woman, who uh, ended up writing a book called Forgetting the Dead Man Walking, she wrote a book about her story, Debbie Morris. In fact, if you want to hear her speak about it, I actually found a while back on, on the internet, Facebook today, and Joy Nelson did an interview with her. And it's very powerful. It's about a 20 minute interview. If you just Google her, her name. But she tells a story about her life and about what happened. And she says, for four and a half years, the trial went on and they finally got For four and a half years, she lived with extreme anxiety and fear. And she was afraid every night. She was afraid that this man would be standing in her bed and she would wake up. Because he had escaped from this prison once before. And the fear and the pain and the anger. And she says, I kept waiting for an event to come along. I kept waiting for an event to happen that would finally set me free from all the fear and the worries and the anxiety that I felt. And she said, when I woke up the morning after he was executed, I didn't feel any bitterness. And that's when she realized there was only forgiveness that was going to finally set her free. Let me just share with you some of her words. She goes, It was when I just turned back to God and sort of through my tears, through my tears, threw my arms up in the air and said, what's going to make this better? And how can you help me now? I give up. I'm willing. I'm willing to let you do it. This is just so much bigger than me. The whole process of forgiveness happens in steps, she says. It's not an event. A lot of people think that it's an event, but once they say, I want to forgive, and I do forgive, help me to forgive, that that's just it. The pain goes away and everything is okay. That's not what happens, she says. At the time, I was sort of thinking that maybe that's what would happen, but I didn't even understand forgiveness at that time. What I wanted at that point was for the hate to go away for this. I felt like I was the one who had been in prison for four and a half years. Robert Willie may have been behind bars, but I felt like I had been in prison. I wanted that gone. I wanted to quit being controlled by the past. I wanted all of a sudden experience a freedom that would help me be able to move into the future. That's what I wanted. I wanted it all at once that night. It didn't necessarily happen like that, but it was a step. I didn't feel the freedom that came with that initial step of forgiveness. I think it's a choice that you have to consciously make yourselves. You have to set your mind to do this. Forgiveness for me meant that I was no longer, listen to this, forgiveness meant that I was no longer the one who was responsible for Robert Willie's fate, for vengeance against him. Forgiveness for me was very personal. It's what allowed me to be able to move on and experience God's love and grace and the peace that he would have for me. Forgiveness. And then she said, as Louis Sweets said, that I finally realized when I chose to forgive there was a prisoner that was set free, and I realized that prisoner was myself. 
justice of our birth will not set us free. It's the gift of forgiveness. It doesn't mean that people go away, but I appreciated so much about what she said. Maybe how we feel, we don't realize it, but what we just 
that these words resentment is like eating poison and hoping someone else will die. And we're the one who just gives you the poison. You see, forgiveness is a gift from God to be made right with Him, but it's also a gift from God to release us from the power of evil and deception. It's good news that we don't have to reside under that evil for the rest of our lives. In forgiveness, we can release that from us. Even if the person doesn't receive the forgiveness, we can be set free from the evil that was done to us. It's a gift for us and for the world. But when we move forward in forgiveness in relations to others, we are acting with God in making things right in the world. If I work with God and extend the forgiveness that He's given to me, I'm working with Him in making things right in the world, a new creation. But if I hold on to that forgiveness and I don't extend it, then I'm only contributing to the anger and the bitterness and the resentment that the world is living in, and not towards new creation. As hard as this physical wall might be, one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, said this, I love Eugene. Eugene Peterson uses a word you don't hear very often. Muckraking is not gospel work. I don't know if you've ever come across that word, but muckraking is basically you know, bringing out the, the scandalous stuff, you know, people in public and exposing. We see a lot of that in our society. Muckraking is not gospel work. Witch hunting is not gospel work. Shaming the outcast is not gospel work. Forgiving sin is gospel work. That's the gospel work Jesus has done for us and invites us into with him. And these words from Noah White in Christ's Object Lessons. In God's forgiveness, the heart of the erring one is drawn close to the great heart of infinite love. The tide of divine compassion flows into the sinner's soul and from him to the souls of others. The tenderness and mercy that Christ has revealed in his own precious life will be seen in those who become sharers of his grace. I love that phrase. Sharers of his grace. The ground all forgiveness is found in the unmerited love of God. E. Stanley Jones wrote this book, Victory to Surrender. He said there are basically four ways to surrender, four types of surrender. He said one is you can either surrender to yourself, which I'm guessing that's never worked for you. Never worked for me. You can surrender to someone else. That usually hasn't been down very well. You can surrender to what he calls the herd, the crowd. That's never been a good thing. He says, or the fourth option. And you can guess where it is. You can surrender to God. It's only four types of surrender. And we choose. When we move towards forgiveness, we surrender to God. We say as as the girl who wrote the book, forgiving that I'm walking. I have no control over this man's judgment. I have no control over this man's vengeance. I have no control. But I can forgive and I surrender that to God. And trust me. Because there is nothing, there is no judicial system, there is no judgment in this world that will ever fully make things right or take place in this world. It will only happen in the hands of a judge we can all trust. Of an 
judge that we can place on our own lives, and in a judge whose hand we can place those who hurt us. You see, it's all about what's going on inside. The story I read recently in Ben Sapio's recent book on grace, a true story, a true story about uh, an unfortunate experience. If you want to really see that, be blessed by the story, you can actually Google something Tara Storch, S T O R C H, Tara Storch. And um, Tara, who is the mother, lost her daughter in an unfortunate skiing experience. She was only, I think she was 13 years old. They were skiing, and her daughter had an accident and tragically lost her life on the ski slopes. But on the, I think it was the Today Show, they interviewed Tara and her husband. And they chose to donate her daughter's organs to those who could benefit from them. And so on this show, the picture that we're going to show you, it shows the, the couple on the couch, the mother and the father there. And in between the mother and the father is this other lady who received her daughter's heart. And her only desire to donate her heart was that she would be able to hear her daughter's heart in the life that had been sent. And so, if you watch this episode, you will actually see them. They live in Colorado, this woman who sees the heart is in Arizona. They go to Arizona, and the lady who received the heart pulls out a stethoscope and says, Listen to her heart, it's keeping me alive. And it's so beautiful. The church will tell you this story because God does not ask us to be strong and buck up and forgive your neighbor. The good news is not only that Jesus forgives us, but he outlives us. His very heart, his very life, blood that he shed for us, his life that forgives is in you, it is in me. And it's through the grace, the activity, and the power of the very life of Jesus in us that will lead us to forgive. That will bring healing to your own body, and that will lead others to forgive. I love the words of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is not symbolic in meaning. That is not a word picture. That is reality for those who live in the gospel. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Grace that 
know you want forgiveness for us. And so we ask, Lord, for the grace to work through the process of forgiveness. We recognize it may not all happen in one moment, but step by step with you, step by step, walking with you, day by day, one day at a time, we ask for the grace to forgive. Whether the other person accepts it or not, 